0: Welcome to Unmute with PRCAI, a unique podcast series that through conversations with business leaders and change makers seeks to understand the narrative of a bold new India. This podcast is powered by AdFactors PR and I'm Nireth Alva. Our guest today is a fourth generation entrepreneur, a passionate philanthropist, who's also enthusiastic about development. SCA, the company she is executive director of, was founded in 1896, and it focuses on logistics and supply chains. Berevi Jani, welcome to Unmute.
1: Thank you so much, Nirith. I'm really looking forward to this exciting conversation today.
0: Entrepreneur, philanthropist, businesswoman, so much more. What's a typical day in your life like, Berevi?
1: Well, I wake up very early. I wake up at 3.30 in the morning. I know it's a ghastly hour, but I'm also told it's the devil's hour by some of my creative friends. And that's the time I actually do a lot of thinking work. Of course, I meditate and I do my yoga, but it's kind of my time with myself because I don't get that during the day. And then comes the flow of the day, walk with the dogs, breakfast, work, come back in the evening. Um, If there are no calls, uh, which is rare because when you run a business, which is across the world, uh, timelines tend to get blurred. But I try my best to call it a day at 8 p.m. and then it's family time. So as simple and straightforward as that.
0: You are a fourth generation entrepreneur. Did that make it easier for you or more difficult starting out?
1: You know, I know there's a lot of this context around nepotism, Mm -hmm. et cetera. So let me just frame this right. Um, I think uh, I did not join my family business right after my college. I went to work with KPMG in the US for a couple of years, came back, started my own company, ran it for a couple of years, then exited from it and then joined the family business. So I think my path was a little different than what it would be for people who would directly join their family's business. Having said that, I think there are both advantages and disadvantages. The advantage is that you, you do have the backing of credibility of a business that has been around for several years. Uh, but I think. Uh, The challenge, therefore, then is for you to make your own mark and see what what are the new uh, opportunities and, you know, how do you shape uh, the next phase of your family's business in in a new context uh, as the world keeps changing? So I think there are both advantages and disadvantages.
0: One of the questions I ask everyone on unmute is what does leadership mean to you and how do you practice it in your personal life?
1: You know there are a lot of different words around leadership, and there's so much talk and so many terms. but for me, it personally really means, uh, especially in the context of business, to have the trusteeship of society. and society means everyone, your customers, your employees, your vendors, your stakeholders, everyone. Uh, and to me, that's what it means is to be in, in trust and in trusteeship of society.
0: Okay. And in terms of your personal um, style, leadership style, people who report to you, people, um, you know, who have to take direction from you. So how do you practice that in your daily life? Is there a particular way that you've evolved? Is it something that just comes naturally to you? Um, Just just getting a sense of how you are. Where are we the leader in the workplace?
1: I should not be the one answering that question. My colleagues should, but I would say I like to, you know, kind of, follow the model of uh, sort of a producer-creator mechanism where I kind of have a sort of a larger vision for which I take inputs. And then once we've all agreed uh, the roadmap we are taking, I then give a lot of freedom to people around me. Um, Because for me, that's very, very important for my own self. And so I like to also give that to people who work with me. Uh, And of course, there is a large consultative collaborative mechanism. So it's fairly participative. But at the same time, it's a a fairly ambitious way of working. I certainly am not a very easy to please uh, boss, if you will.
0: Okay. You play many different roles. Let's talk about uh, executive director, india at 75. tell us a little bit about that role and and what you bring to it personally
1: well what i brought to it because it was many many years ago almost a decade ago uh, it just happened that cii was setting up a foundation and they were keen uh, and so was professor ck pralat before he passed away that a young person came and gave shape to an organization full time. And in the US, they do it all the time, right? People from private sector will come into public space for a couple of years and go back. And he, sa- he thought India was ready for that kind of a change. And so I sold two of my businesses. Uh, we professionalize our entire family business so that I could come to Delhi, be here for about two years to build this foundation up, build its team Build its mechanisms of working, and I think I can safely say that personally for me, it was a path breaking experience because it exposed me to a world of public policy, government media, consultative uh, processes policy making that I would have never uh, had a chance to experience, definitely not at that age you know i was thirty one I think when I did that so I think uh, it was a great experience for me. What it also taught me was that India can, you know, dream big, aim big and deliver big. And uh, I I think it instilled me a confidence for what this country is capable of. And it has never left me since.
0: Yeah, what you're saying connects to a question I had, uh, which I was I was about to ask you. You know, in many ways, people say India has emerged as a brand in its own right, you know, on the world stage. Would you agree that India has now evolved into a kind of a brand that people can relate to almost as if you relate to a person?
1: You know, it's really funny. My husband and I watched two movies back to back. One was Mission Impossible and second was Oppenheimer. I actually went for a 7.30 a.m. Oppenheimer show. Uh, so you know, kind of a geek I am, but you know, it was full. It, it, the IMAX theater was full of 250 young people, all in their 30s, and you know, I was very impressed by that. It was early in the morning on a Saturday. They turned up uh, to watch a movie on science, uh, if you if you will, and I realized that something had shifted. Similarly, you know, just ten days ago, when I went to watch. Uh, Mission Impossible during a conversation, uh, you know, Tom Cruise mentions about, oh, and, and, and the Indians are giving this intel. And I was watching the the Diplomat series on one of the OTT platforms, I think on Netflix, and they mentioned about Indians sharing intel. And you know, this, this uh, space in the mainstream conversation where people in general conversation start recognizing your country uh, as some someone that plays a global role for whether it's a counter-terrorism or intelligence in those contexts, whatever have you be. This did not happen till 10 years ago. Till 10 years ago, it was the Chinese, right? I mean, you take the, take the movies like day after tomorrow and all. The Chinese were building the ships for the whole world to travel around, right? It didn't happen. I think today, India does find space in the common narrative. For me, that's the real branding. The branding isn't just the FDIs and the increase in tourist numbers or, you know, the business deals and the trade packs we're signing. That's important and that's very, very critical. But branding is when actually you become a mainstay uh, in the experience and narratives of societies other than yourself as a society. And I think, that process has begun. And it's, I mean, look at Natu Natu, right? So I'm i am just trying to point out the fact that what really that change in branding means today.
0: Yeah. You're saying that, you know, India is now mainstream. It's referred to even in passing in movies and in more specific terms. And so there is a, a brand that goes beyond just the FDI and things like that. But just a quick question. Like, so if you have to... Uh, um define this brand if you had to say you know what are the hallmarks of this brand what what would you say that is for India in the present context
1: I think our culture is our strongest positioning of course but so is technology I can tell you uh you know way back in 1999 when I started working for KPMG the in the United States I had a customer who came and said you know How come all of you know how to do Oracle and SAP? I mean, do they teach you that in sixth grade in India? And I think, you know, our starting 90s, I think this positioning has been coming where there is a recognition of our technological prowess. And then in early 2000s, of course, with the brands, um, as well as, you know, some other cultural exports, uh, you know, the Jai Ho, uh, by N.A.R. Rahman, uh, things started changing. And I think that is it, that it has been a path that has been ongoing for several decades now. It has taken an accelerated space um, in the last, I would say, you know, since the Modi government, for the only reason that the prime minister himself is very vocal about Brand India. And therefore, so are his ministers. And it kind of then translates down to how business also represents itself globally. So it does help you know manmohan singh ji was a far more uh, quiet leader in that sense uh, i mean his brand was a quiet brand uh, but he did too i mean with the with the nuclear agreement uh, as well as you know some of the things that he did in terms of social infrastructure including the uid he created a brand for india so i think every prime minister builds uh, you know if you start with atal bihari vajpayee and you come to manmohan singh's 10 years and now modi's almost 10 years there has been a, there has been a build up and uh, we can see the results of it uh, as we stand today.
0: Okay. Do you think what can we as a country do to enhance our brand image? Do you think because uh, every time I, I push people, you know, on this uh, on the podcast and say what are the things we can do to improve it to make it uh, stand out even better, and each time people we interview give their ideas, and some of them have been quite unique. So uh, pushing you with how do we enhance India's brand image?
1: You know, at the end of, uh, and, and I'm not a brand expert, or most of you guys are, but uh, I would say that uh, every brand has its, has its core philosophy and its core values. And for India, it has always been its diversity, its pluralism. And a lot of people, uh, e- you know, equate India to that. If India were to lose that core standing, it would be a significant damage to its branding globally and I think therefore we need to in our own way whether it's in our organizations uh, whether it's in our social construct uh, whether it's in our narrative what we write what we communicate in the media we need to constantly reinforce that pluralism because that's extremely important to the core you know value of what India is as a brand and why it's appreciated for what it is globally. I think the second thing we need to really do is we need to in certain aspects walk talk. So if we are we are ambitious, then we have to act ambitiously. Uh, you can't talk about going to the moon and not do what is necessary for it. And, you know, uh, organizations like ISRO do wonders for India's brand abroad because it walks the talk. It talks about going to the moon and it makes several attempts to go to the moon. I don't think there is such an obsession of success globally as much as there is a there is a need to see visible efforts to what we proclaim we want to be and where we want to go. So that's the second thing. And the third thing is, you know, I would say it very simply: kachra saaf In the sense, you know, don't be a dirty country. You want people to come. Cleanliness is inherent, uh, and you know uh, we have a moral disengagement with it for some reason, uh, and we need to we need to really park that aside. Uh, and get into the act of, you know, keeping our neighborhoods, our cities, our villages clean, uh, not just for ourselves, but also for our brand image
0: globally. You say that you're not a brand person, but that was a fantastic uh, textbook brand response in terms of what we can do to improve India's brand image. Thank you for that. Shifting gears a bit, tell us a little bit about your work at IEF.
1: When I got done with India at 75 as a full-time role, uh, I had this question for myself saying okay you know I was involved in creating something which was larger vision for the country and mechanisms but as an entrepreneur what can I do I'm not a teacher I can't go and teach I'm not a doctor I can't do health camps but what can I do and therefore you know what are the entrepreneurial needs in India and I thought they were pretty urban and things like that and then a friend of mine uh, ram uh, who's an Indologist, questioned that and he said you know let's Go around the country. And then you ask yourself this question, how people are making these choices? And so in 2014, I, along with Mahesh, another friend who was a rally driver and a cinematographer, Uh, We drove 18,181 kilometers uh, during the general elections. And I asked thousands of people, uh, you know, what livelihoods meant to them and what kind of entrepreneurship they were thinking. It changed my paradigms about entrepreneurship. It also changed my ideas about what I wanted to do. And so IEF actually came from that. It came from the fact that I believed that tier three, tier four towns in India also had enterprising potential, had entrepreneurs that needed help, uh, that needed guidance. And so we came up with a pedagogy to train small scale entrepreneurs in small town India uh, through you know, pro bono uh, contributions from everyone. So IEF is only one employee everybody else just comes in as a pro bono and gives time, whether it's HR professionals who come and teach them about human resource practices or it's branding professionals who come and teach branding. Uh, Maybe, you know, I should thank some of those branding faculty members for whatever clarity they've given me on the branding process through those classes. Um, And then, of course, finance and accounting and marketing. So, you know, over a period of time now, we have trained thousands of people across the country. And, you know, the success that they've been able to make, some of them are now changing the ecosystems in their own states, for example, our entrepreneurs in Sikkim are now actually, you know, drafting and helping shape Sikkim startup policy. For me, that has been a very, very gratifying process because it has been paid forward. And I think that's what's important. I, I felt whatever I had, I gave it forward and then other people are paying it forward. And that is a virtuous cycle of give, give and take
0: in that. Okay. Can you share with us some advice to budding Indian entrepreneurs in terms of what you've seen, what you've learned, you know, from that amazing journey and the years after that, what would be your advice to budding Indian entrepreneurs who may not have had the good fortune of, you know, being mentored in a system like this?
1: You know, first of all, if you're an entrepreneur, you should know why you're an entrepreneur, right? What is the problem you're trying to solve in the marketplace, in society? As long as that's clear and you are passionate about it, you are committed to it. It's aligned to your own values as a human being. You're set, right? The foundation stone is in place, as I as I call it. And then you have to build people around you. You have to attract other people to also believe in that uh, vision, that idea. You know, it's, entrepreneurship is not a single person journey. It it can never be a, a sole person enterprise. It it has to be a collaborative team effort. And so it's very, very important how you attract people, how you retain talent and how you grow your team. Uh, that is at the center of what you are trying to do as an entrepreneur. And I think the second thing is, you know, yes, it's a difficult country to operate. Most countries in the world are. I run business in 80 countries. Every country has its ups and downs. So don't complain. Keep your aspirations. Your resources will always be lesser than your aspirations. That's the entrepreneurial transformation. Uh, so don't crib about the fact that you don't have enough resources. I always tell everyone that I meet that even Mukesh Ambani must be thinking he doesn't have enough money to do what he wants to do. Uh, that's the journey of, of of an entrepreneur. And if you've signed up for it, then um, enjoy the ride.
0: Okay. If there are, um, apart from that, if there are two or three skill sets that you feel in your opinion are key for an Indian entrepreneur across sectors you know given the socioeconomic realities of India. The, any skill sets you'd like to add to that menu that you just mentioned?
1: Well, I would say first uh, you know as I said, you know we're a very pluralistic country um, so it's important for you to be open to talent of all gender, all type, all faith, you know, your your space should be welcoming to all. And then that way you can attract the best talent. So your ability to attract good talent, retain it and grow it is critical. And, you know, there are, there are skill sets that you can get to do this. This is important stuff. Uh, people do an entire MBA in human resource management. So, you know, get acquainted if you don't know how to do this, because some people are introvert by nature. Um, but as a leader, you need to really get your flock together. Second, I think, and the most important is also, uh, you know, knowing the language of accounts and finance, because that's the picture of your business. You know, glossy presentations aside, at the end of the day, what's in your bank and what's in your balance sheet is your success. If you don't understand that language, then you can't really understand how to leverage, uh, you know, the financial uh, context and whatever are either pluses and minuses in your business and manage it well. And third, I think I would say is that know your story, know your brand story, know what you what you give to the market. Why are you here? Uh, And if that's clear and there is a way uh, to do that, there are skill sets, uh, there are, you know, workshops, there are now online classes, attend one, but get your brand story right. It's important to to be able to communicate who you are, why you do what you do and why should people be buying your products and services.
0: Nicely put. I just want to ask you, because doing a little bit of research, uh, they say you want to co-create sustainable livelihoods for communities in the upper Himalayas. That's something you're passionate about. Can you share a little bit about how you plan to do that?
1: I live half the year in what I call the breathtaking boondocks. In a place called Munsiari, it's about 570 kilometers from Gurgaon, where I live the other half of my life. And uh, we ended up being in Munsiari. My husband, after he turned fifty, said, Bhato I want to, you know, do things that I cared about. And I said, What do you care about? He said, I either wanted to join the army or become a farmer. And I said, the army could bot late. Gaya. A farmer is a possibility. <laughs> um he he's been a career marketing professional. So he said, you know what? I can help the farmers in the Himalaya to reach their products. To the world. And as he got into it, he understood that, you know, it wasn't just about that. Their land was not sustainably used. Uh, Then there was no pollination because the bees were dying. So they got into apiculture. So he set up a company called the Himalayan Essence. And it's a company that works with farmers across the Himalaya from Kashmir, Himachal Pradesh, Uttarakhand, Ladakh all the way to the Northeast, uh, in training them in regenerative, sustainable, holistic agriculture practices, primarily small farmers, thousands of them, working with them, training them, giving them input support, helping them connect to the market, also buying their products and branding it and selling it globally. So that's the work they do. And from that, I kind of understood that there was a role to play in you know allowing communities to understand how to make money uh how to create livelihoods within their own ecosystem without having to migrate outside. And so I've been working with entrepreneurs in in our village, helping them set up little kick shops or uh helping them start, you know, um, become agents for digital uh, payment guys. You know, it's small things, um, but it's very nice to see that a lot of young people now do want to remain where they are, not migrate, especially in tier three, tier four towns. In villages still, there is still a need for migration because infrastructure isn't there. Um, But I do hope that we will eventually, through a program that we are, uh, you know, we are delayed in implementing because of COVID, but we are in the process of uh, designing. It is called Rural RuralX, and it is going to empower young people in, in villages of India uh, to become part of global supply chains. And so that's the way we are planning to do it. Um in addition to of course what my husband does in his company
0: you know uh, Bhairavi, it's almost become hacked to say now that learning must not stop that lifelong learning is the key to stay on top of your game uh, can you share with us some tips uh, can you share with us some tips on how you stay ahead of the curve and how you you know you keep uh, yourself aware of the latest developments in your field and other fields
1: I read a lot. Um, I read, I consume all kinds of content. Uh, I'm, I'm a content uh, Godzilla, if you will. Um, I consume reels. I consume online classes. I consume online articles, paid subscriptions. Uh, I follow handles of people I don't agree with. Um, so, you know, I, I actually make a significant effort to go out and gather information. And that's a significant two hour part of my day. In the morning, I, I read a lot uh, and primarily about what's going on in my space, connecting with people, uh, reading about, you know, what are the new things happening in areas that I don't have expertise in. I also take up to learn two new languages every year. Uh, it could be from anywhere because it kind of gives me a peek into that culture. It could be an Indian language, it could be a foreign language. I, I It's just random. I just speak two. Uh, So for example, this year I'm learning Japanese and Arabic and it's difficult, (laughs) but you know, it allows you to you know, your brain then wires differently because of that. And I also, of course, read a lot of books. As I said, I'm a a content Godzilla. I I consume everything. Um, And I think if you want to be, you know, sort of well-informed, you need to at least set aside an hour a day to read and to grasp and listen and you know today there are many ways in which content can come to you video audio podcast what we're doing right now uh, but i do that it's something that it's like a ritual it's like you know people get up in the morning do their puja or people do their namaz and people go to church on a sunday i do two hours of content
0: all right. Take your own business, Bhairavi, logistics and supply chain management, the pandemic, the war in Europe, the rising you know, tide of protectionism and the rising strains of the U.S.-China relationship. They've all caused a dramatic reordering of how business was done around the world. Uh, how have these factors impacted your business and how are you as a business leader dealing with these challenges?
1: Well, significantly, as you know, when COVID came, uh, suddenly everything stopped. And then suddenly we were expected to operate during those conditions and we lost people. Um, You know, I had colleagues who loaded vaccine my three shipments, but were not above 45 or not above 60 and could not get vaccine in time and died. Um, You know, and I feel that, you know, this industry has been undervalued uh, for a very, very long time. It is, you know, a catastrophic event like COVID that made people stand up and take notice about supply chains and logistics as a sector and as process, uh, which basically runs everybody's life. You know, you really make the world go around in in our industry, but people were not paying attention to these these professionals. And so I take it as a good thing in a way, because now there is significant attention on what we do and how we operate. Having said that, I think um, people talk about supply chain resilience in, in in a very sort of a, you know, matter of fact way. Uh, but supply chains don't work like that. There's significant dependencies that get built over the years. You need infrastructure, you need digital You know, a process is in place to exchange information because 50% of logistics business is about sharing information and you need to do that with trusted partners. So there there is a transformation that is happening in the industry, of course. It's very exciting. Um, there is also huge digitization coming in the sector that is also very exciting. Uh, artificial intelligence, blockchain, uh, IoT are all things that are changing things in our industry. And so, you know, upskilling people is very, very important and extremely critical for ensuring a smooth transition for you know for companies of all sizes and shapes. And I feel that. You know, industry is doing its bit, but a lot more can be done as far as, you know, getting our human resource capacity up uh, to what the challenges are. I'm not, this is not just limited to India, this is everywhere. And I think the third is the climate reality, because sustainable, climate friendly logistics is going to be very, very important. But if you think about airline industry, you know, we order aircrafts 10, 15 years ahead. So there is no way that the aircraft that I will get delivered in 2030 will be clean fuel, right? And so how do you plan your transitions? You need to think ahead many, many decades. Um, you know, you don't build a port infrastructure for a day. You can't bring it down in two years. You build it for several decades. So thinking through that is very, very critical uh, and very, very important. I think the, the PM Kati Shakti is a great plan. Uh, I just wish that there was more industry participation with it so that it kind of has more practical outcome.
0: In the, you just mentioned um, something that I was about to come to in the current business landscape. Now, it's impossible to ignore AI data analytics and machine learning, and all the other things you mentioned. How do you as a business leader engage with these developments? That's the first part of the question. And second, what is your advice to Indian businesses as they face up to these unprecedented changes? So two questions in one.
1: Well, I think uh, any change, and especially digitization, right? You have to equip yourself with knowledge. You have to know what this is about. It's not about hiring the the best new techie from IIT and making sure that you or she take care of your digital transition. It's a way of thinking. It's changing everything. So you also have to make the effort to learn. I've spent last 10 years, you know, I mean, I got exposed to a lot of IOT and other things much as an earlier part of it. Thanks to having friends who are in the sector. But I have kept myself abreast of what's going on, uh, taken classes, gotten trained. Uh, it's important. I, you know, I, I was doing a storyboarding exercise with on on an AI tool just fifteen days ago, right? Um, and I was creating a storyboard for one of the social projects we are doing, and it was interesting. It was so exciting because you know you could choose from different. Uh, formats of a or you could do watercolor or you could do like real pictures and you know you start to understand how this is changing the jobs of people who work with you so one is that you do and you learn and you experiment yourself and i think that's critical and second then once you've done that you have to prepare a roadmap Uh, for your organization in in consultation with with people and colleagues so you also have to get make sure that your leadership team is also getting exposed and trained so currently for example we have a part of our leadership team uh, going into a training of what it means to build uh, climate-friendly sustainable air cargo logistics because we run cargo terminals uh, at airports and you know Now there's a need for them to know how to make their processes climate friendly. They don't know this, right? Um, They know logistics. They can load your aircraft perfectly fine, but they don't know uh, about uh, how to transition this to a more sustainable business practice. So they're getting trained. Um, And then you train and you then you, you know, get everybody in the organization on the same plate and it's hard work and you do it one at a time, but it starts with you
0: okay so that's that's your advice basically uh, indian businesses they the leadership needs to be aware of this they can't afford just to hire people and uh, they need to be able to be part of that whole transition uh, process well i mean you also
1: have to be excited about a change right i mean if there's something new coming uh, it's tech or climate or anything else i mean aren't you as a business leader excited about something new and i, I think any change that's coming should be met with uh, excitement and hope and optimism, I feel. And that can only come if you are dealing with it like that.
0: But there is this whole specter of AI, right? That is sort of dominating a lot of thinking. Nobody really knows where it's going to go, but, you know, people are coming up with all these worst case scenarios, you know, the killing of jobs, um, you know, the singularity that can almost make us extinct. What's your take on AI and the way it's going? And uh, potential disruption
1: you know you we were both of both these little flies on the walls of the, you know european uh, markets in 1500s when the printing press came around right uh, uh, it's uh, you know it's the gutenberg moment right and the press comes around and then yeah. scribes lose the job and you know then there's printing press but then look what else it created Right. Um, And so I call it the Gutenberg moment for for IoT and AI. We are in that situation. There is a transition. Some people will lose jobs, but many, many new and, you know, higher skill jobs will get created. Uh, And so we shouldn't be worried about it. We shouldn't be apprehensive about it. Uh, This is the transition. And what's important is how well we manage the transition. Because if law and society isn't ready for that transition, uh, you know, there is no framework for, for example, look at, I mean, the parliament's now passed the data uh, protection bill. And now I think we are ready to, you know, use our data sets, right? Uh, Because India has a very rich data set uh, for, you know, machine computing, machine learning, AI computing. But without having that protection, had we just allowed companies in other countries, uh, and, and also in our country, to use that data, maybe there would have been social difficulties. So I think it's important to understand how to manage the transition. The transition is already happening. You cannot stop it. So So the best is to kind of learn about it and build the system for the migration.
0: Got it. Okay, we have a section uh, where we on our podcast, which is the rapid fire rounds, sort okay. of stream of consciousness answers. So I'll just throw a few things at you. And uh, in fact, you answered a lot of the things that we already had in mind uh, in various parts of the interview. So uh, are you ready? Can I just shoot some words at you and get some responses? Ready. Philanthropy.
1: Trusteeship. Okay. I think philanthropy is about trusteeship of society.
0: India at hundred. Ambitious superpower. India versus China. Possible, practical, real, doable. India's leading business schools? Need to think out of the box. Anything else you want to add that you're passionate about, that you want to speak about, that you feel have not covered?
1: No, I think you covered everything. All, all that I would say is that, you know, given, the, given that uh, this is an industry of communication professionals, um, I just want to say that communication is such an important tool. And now that there are many, many channels of communicating and connecting, um, you know, if we all consciously think a little more about who we are communicating to how we are communicating what we are communicating whether it's about a product it's about a service uh, whether it's about a social change whether it's an opinion whether we are shaping policy a little more conscious thought i mean i'm sure a lot of it is done with a lot of thinking but a little more conscious thought keeping in mind uh the larger uh good of society and uh, the larger good of the nation uh can go a long way in making people feel positive making people feel happy you know it's the it's the gender reverse cadbury ad it did so much for a lot of girls out there so all i'm saying is that there's so much uh power that rests with the professionals in this industry and i i mean i would just love to see more and more of that power used uh for helping society move forward
0: yeah. Before I close and uh, throw to Deepti Sedi, the CEO of PRCAI for her burning question of the day, just a little bit about your personal life, what you do to unwind. I believe you're a trained classical dancer. You go on treks. Um, please tell us what you do to unwind. And I hope that you do take time to unwind and, uh, you know, cut off from this intense professional life of yours.
1: Oh, absolutely. I cut off every day. I wouldn't be able to survive otherwise. Um, I play the piano. I uh, love listening to music of very different genres. I love, you know, spending time in nature. I love to take my walks. My dogs are my de- biggest de stressors. Um, and so there's lots. I mean, I, I watch movies. I catch up on OTT shows. Uh, I'm, I'm a pakka nice, lovely Indian thali. My life is full. And uh, I like it like that. So I do a lot to unwind. And I think it's an important thing to do. Uh, It's important to take out that time for yourself to simply just be with yourself and do what you feel like doing. I think it has a capacity to recharge uh, that most medications cannot help you with.
0: Bervijani, thank you very much for joining us. But before we say goodbye, uh, here's Deepthi Sethi, the CEO of PRCI, to ask you the burning communication question of the day. Deepthi, over to you.
1: Thank you, Nirit, and very great conversation. Love your energy, and it's so fascinating to see a lot of work that you're doing, especially the Thali comment. It is it is wonderful. Uh, I'm going to come to a specific question of what do you think as a fourth generation business enterprise owner, companies get right and wrong when it comes to PR and branding while passing on the baton from one generation to the other. So, what have you observed? What has worked, and what should companies do, and what they shouldn't be doing? Oh, wow, this is a great question. First of all, Niret, I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Uh, and the, the, the question is really, really rich and meaningful, I think. I would say that as companies, uh, whether you are between one generation of your family or the other, Right, a uh, company has its own life. It has its own personality, as it, its its own existence. I may own it today. You may own it tomorrow. Uh, you may lead it today. Nirat may lead it tomorrow. Right. So, passing on the baton and generationality is in, should be interbuilt in the company. But at the heart of it is the core value system. Right. And I think uh, it's very important for companies to articulate their core values internally first, and then externally. I think a lot of companies are much bothered about communicating their values to their customers. But most importantly, values need to be communicated and realized internally. Because if you've done that, um, then it will show in your outcome, whether it's your service or it's a product. Uh, And I think that's very, very important. I think the second thing is that as there's a transition, right? There needs to be a realization that one type of, leadership is coming to an end and a second new type of leadership is coming in. And uh, while, uh, you know, the old has done its job, uh, the new must bring in and shake up things and therefore to be ready for shakeups. Even when you're hiring new talent, I think a lot of times uh, we are not very welcoming of change. Uh, I think we should be we should be looking forward to it. I mean, that is a reason of bringing in the change in the first place. A new person will think differently, will act differently, will have different views. And that's why they are there to, to take it forward. You know, in the context of evolution and mathematics that supports it, I'm an applied mathematician by, by education, there is a concept of what they call is perturbation. Perturbation is that error element that allows evolution to keep pushing forward its growth uh, and i believe that every kind of change that comes in the organization's leadership is a perturbation it's it's that it's that element that will push the delta forward will make the growth better and uh, it should be welcomed at the same time the change that is coming in should not remain in the air and should be re- should be, you know, especially, for example, business like ours, you know, it's been around for 120 years plus. So there are certain things, certain value systems that are ingrained and that have worked. And therefore, building without a foundation should not be thought of. Uh, And that's equally important. And the role that shareholders or families that own businesses can play is to create that system of transition and change, uh, you know, in a very effective manner. And I would say, Many more companies need to do that. And this is not just true for big companies. Smaller the company, more need of the transition plan. Thank you. I think great piece of advice. And I would say that you're a great combination of science and art. So from branding to strategy, it's all coming very naturally to you. Back to you, Nirith.
0: On that note, thank you, Beravi. We conclude our conversation with you, but we'll be back soon with another edition of Unmute. Till then, this is Nirith Alva signing off.